0: So for the past few weeks, we've been trying to bring some clarity to who we are and what God's calling us to do as his church here in Kingwood. And we started by walking through simple and clear definitions of our purpose, our mission and our values, of our purpose, our mission and our values. I am just convinced that clear and concise definitions of things, they help us focus, but they also give us a familiar language to use together as a family And it unifies us by reminding us that we're all on the same team. It reminds us that whether you're worshiping with us online, whether you're here in the traditional service, earlier in the contemporary service, whether you're wearing fancy shine shoes or white Converse, we are all on the same team. And we are here to be united in mission and purpose, sharing the same values that come to us straight from Jesus. So in addition to our clear definitions of our purpose and our mission and our values, last week I shared with you a clear and simple definition of a disciple. And of course there's many ways that you can define these things, but this is the one that makes the most sense to us. A disciple is someone who has been united with Christ, is being transformed to be like Christ so that they can partner with Christ in the work of the kingdom of God until Christ returns or calls us home. And if we are to be disciple-making disciples, if we are to be a people who are making and being a part of the process of helping someone become a disciple, that starts with the gospel. Which means that we've got to know what the gospel is. So last week, we started by working through a clear and concise definition of the gospel. And I shared with you that many people would define it this way. They might say, Jesus died for my sins and rose again so that I can have eternal life. And that's definitely clear and concise, and it's true, but as we saw last week, that's it's not where the gospel begins. It's not the whole gospel. And in that definition, there are as many eyes and me's as there are examples of the name Jesus. So it's important that we have a clear and concise definition of the gospel. So last week, we started that work. We traveled through time all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, and we saw that the gospel begins with the good news that we were created by a loving and powerful God for four specific relationships. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created for a right relationship with ourselves. We were created to be in a right relationship with others, And we were created to be in the right relationship with all God's creation. And we saw that God has given us structure and order, some gifts to help ensure us that these relationships will thrive so that all life and creation can flourish. He gave us work to do. He gave us permission to enjoy everything that's good. And he gave us a command to keep away from the things that will cause us harm. So this is the good news. This is how the gospel begins. God and his good creation together, all of these relationships working just as God intended. Unfortunately, that's not where the story ends. And we saw last week that in chapter three, this good news takes a terrible turn when humanity decides not to obey God's plan for us unfortunately given work to do given permission to enjoy the good and giving a warning from a loving father to avoid what's bad that's just not enough for us we want to define the terms of this life for ourselves we want to be in charge and when that happens everything falls apart So I'd like to finish the story in Genesis 3 today, but I want to show you something really incredible, something that I didn't see for most of my life as a Christian until a sweet uh, disciple maker discipled me. Uh, There's a German theologian, Old Testament scholar named Gerhard von Rad. Um, It wasn't him. This Gerhard von Rad is not around anymore, but he calls Genesis 3. He says, Genesis 3 is an avalanche of sin that is outrun by the grace of God. And this disciple maker taught me that even as scripture describes a world that is now spiraling out of control, the gardener is planting seeds of hope, grace that will allow us to enter into and enjoy those four thriving relationships once again. So I want to read you a kind of a long section from Genesis 3. And as I do, I want to invite you to look for two things. First, look for the ways that these four relationships fall apart. Because of our disobedience. That's the avalanche of sin. But second, look for the ways that grace is outrunning the avalanche. Because even in this tragic story in Genesis 3, God is piecing the relationships back together again because He just refuses to give up on us. Because He loves us simply because He loves us. And that is good news. What I'm about to read is good news. But gird your loins and hold on tight because it's also kind of challenging to get through. So let's look at Genesis three. I'm gonna read verses eight through 21. Leading up to this, the man and the woman had taken the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had covered themselves in leaves and hid in the trees. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) The woman you put here, (laughs) my emphasis, but I think it's biblical. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and you will creep people out. Again, I'm adding little things here. (laughs) He does go on to say, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It might have been easy to see the avalanche of sin. We're familiar with that. Our relationship with God, it was fractured the moment that humans disobeyed the warning to stay away from that one tree that would cost them their lives a relationship that was built on love, trust, and partnership between God and his image bearers, it immediately spirals into fear and mistrust and separation. And then they do something that we all do, they hide. When our first instinct is to hide from God, it's a really good sign that we're eating from the wrong tree. (laughs) The story tells us they literally hid, they covered their bodies in leaves and then hid among the trees We do that every day. All of us in different ways. Busyness, noise, some turning to toxic chemicals, toxic relationships, even things that are good for us that are abused. We hide in our skepticism about God, in our doubts, in our questions. And look, there are real doubts and questions that come with conversations about God. And we need to have those conversations. But when we allow those doubts to turn into skepticism. Reasons become excuses. And we choose to refuse to believe because it's safer. If we refuse to believe, then we don't have to change. We hide by blame shifting, refusing to accept responsibility for our own actions. And we saw that clearly. The man said, the woman you gave me, he even blames God for it. The woman says, what, the devil made me do it? (laughs) Genesis 3 makes it clear that our hiding is evidence that our relationship with God has been fractured, but it is also evidence that our relationship with ourself is broken. In Genesis 2, we were naked, fully exposed, and knew no shame. But Genesis 3 tells us that humanity now recognizes its nakedness, that is now exposed, and it terrifies us, it sends us into hiding. You see, the man and the woman, they didn't hide because they did something wrong. They weren't afraid they would get caught. They made the decision that it was okay. They made the choice. They hid because they knew deep down inside that they had become something wrong. In that act of disobedience, they had gone from being God's good image bearers to now being something else. And I think we all know that. Do you want everyone here to know your deep dark secrets? I don't (laughs) that's terrifying so I hide and so do you I'm not talking about the COVID masks but we wear masks we pose we pretend we often go through our days just hoping that nobody figures us out the brokenness in our relationship with ourselves it leads to broken relationships with each other Because we aren't just hiding from God. We're not just covering ourselves so we don't feel exposed. We're now protecting ourselves because we don't trust each other anymore. We choose not to trust God. That leads to not even trusting ourselves and it leads to mistrust of one another. The man and the woman in Genesis 2, they were given to each other as gifts. Their relationship was one of love and trust and partnership. It was a reflection. It modeled their relationship with God. God notices that the man is alone, if you remember from Genesis 2, and he says it's not good, and he says the man needs a helper. But what you may not know is that when he gives the man the woman and calls the woman the helper, that is not subservient. She was not given to be a servant to the man, to be beneath him. That word helper is only used throughout the Old Testament for one other being for God. She is described as a helper that stands next to the man that holds him up when he can't stand on his own and he does the same for her. We were not created to live in a relationship like this. We were created to live in a relationship like this. She was made from his rib to stand by his side, not his foot to be beneath him and not his head to be above him. And now that relationship that mutual help for one another has now been marked by the desire to dominate each other, to rule over. And any time that we see men trying to dominate and rule over women, and anywhere we see women trying to dominate and rule over men, we see evidence of the avalanche of sin, and it is covering those good relationships that we were made for. Finally, even our relationship with creation spirals out of control. Creation itself is now, it's kind of weird. I mean, snakes crawl on their bellies and eat dirt. The plants that produce fruit, and they produce fruit not just for their own good, they produce fruit so that human and animal life can flourish and survive. Now those same plants produce thorns and thistles to protect themselves from us. To keep humans and animals from eating the fruit that was made for them everything is turned upside down. The partnering work that God gave us to order and care for creation, that good work is now marked by pain and sweat and tears. Good work now causes misery and exhaustion. Even the gift of bringing new life into the world, a beautiful moment that's filled with so much joy, it comes with unimaginable pain and suffering, even the possibility of death. Y'all, this is simply not the world that we were created for. All of this, these broken relationships, it is a burden that we were never meant to bear. And I'm convinced that you don't have to believe in God to know all of this is true. Because all of this is the real life experience of every human who's ever lived. This is the avalanche of sin. But look again and notice that even this tragic story is full of good news. It's harder to see. But if you pay attention, you'll notice that grace outruns the avalanche. Let me show you first, grace outruns the avalanche in our relationship with God. The man, heard his, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, what? Where are you? Did he not know? (laughs) Of course he knew. Did he not know what they had done? Of course he knew what they did. And he came to walk with them in the cool of the day anyway. He had told them that eating from that prohibited tree would lead to death, and it will. But in the meantime, there's grace, there is a gift there is life that is still to be lived. The first thing that God does in response to sin is walk out to them so that he can now guide them through this new life that they have created for themselves. That he can tell them what it's gonna be like to live in this new world that he originally tried to protect them from. Not only does he come looking for them But notice that he doesn't command, he doesn't demand that they come out from their hiding place. He invites them to come out. And that's really important because this is the first time, up until now, this has been a God of good commands. God commands light from the darkness, land and sea from the chaos, commands life out of what was wild and waste. God gives the good commands to humans to be fruitful and multiply the good command to do the work, to enjoy the good, to keep away from danger. But a command, a demand to come out from hiding after what they had done, it may have only pressed them deeper into their shame. It could have sent them even further into hiding. So instead he asks a question because a question gives you a choice. It invites you to answer or not. The God of good commands offers an invitation. He simply asks, Where are you? You've done it. You've separated yourself from me. So now I'm inviting you. Come on out. Let's talk. Grace outruns the avalanche of sin even as they're coming out from their hiding place. Remember, they didn't just hide among the trees. But to hide their shame from each other, they covered themselves with leaves, right? And what did did God do about that? Did he pull them out into the light and strip the leaves from their body and force them to stand exposed before God and each other? No. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Grace outruns the avalanche. God knows because of our brokenness, he knows that we need to hide. He understands this new reality that includes fear and shame and he knows that we all experience it and in his compassion and his mercy he helps us to hide. And grace outruns the avalanche of sin in our relationship with ourselves and with each other because God is the one who provides the clothes that cover them fully. Even though it was never the plan, the father provides for the needs of his children. But there's even more to it. What does he cover them with? He doesn't just find bigger and better fig leaves. He covers them with animal skin. Where did that come from? And how did he get it? You see, in order to cover their shame, in order to help begin to repair the relationship with God, with themselves, and with each other, so that those relationships could begin to heal, God chose to make a sacrifice. God was the first in all creation to spill blood, and he did it intentionally in order to pay a price for our sin. Grace outruns the avalanche. One of the sweetest moments in the story comes between the two humans. It's when the man gives the woman a name. He names her Eve, which means the mother of all the living Everywhere in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the name Adam, it's not a name. We capitalize it and make it a name because that's what we're used to. But the word Adam in Hebrew just means man. So in Genesis 1 through 3, they're always just called the man and the woman. Until Adam gives his wife a name. She's the only one in the first three chapters that actually has a name. And it's the mother of all living. Even though he blamed God and her for what happened in the past and even though God told him that he would try to dominate and rule over her in the future, he still in the moment recognized something beautiful about his wife. Death had now entered into the picture but his sweet wife would be the means by which new life would also enter in. And in realizing that he honors her, even in their brokenness he honors her with a beautiful name. You see, any time relationships between men and women, between husbands and wives, as hard as those relationships can be, any time it actually works, it's a sign of grace. Because grace outruns the avalanche of sin. And that brings us to grace in the final relationship, our relationship with creation. Yes, you're gonna have to work the field and it's gonna be hard, but guess what it's still going to provide? It is still gonna provide food all the foods you will need until the day that you die. But it's actually through this broken relationship with creation that the gospel is going to one day be put on full display. Listen to this again. To the serpent, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy in scripture. It's the promise that the rest of scripture rests on. Everything revolves around this that one day a child will be born, and God says to the serpent, You, you deceiver, you slanderer, you liar, you accuser of both God and man, you're going to do everything you can to crush him. But it is not going to turn out the way you think. When he's a child, you'll use King Herod, and you'll try to crush him and wipe him out before his story even begins. And you're so evil and twisted, you won't even care how many innocents are destroyed in the process. But you'll fail. When he becomes an adult, not only will you send Rome after him, you'll manipulate his own people. You'll deceive them too, but you will strike his heel. Eventually he will hang on that cross and you'll think that your victory is won in his death, but even in that, you'll fail because in willingly dying on that cross, he will crush your head. In his resurrection, death will have lost its sting. Its power and its authority over life will not last forever. God will be restored in relationship with his people. The door will be opened for all their relationships to be restored because God's own son will be the child that will bear the burden the rest of God's children cannot bear for themselves. Grace outruns the avalanche of sin. For generations after Genesis 3, God's people waited for this promise to come true. Who is this child? They waited with anticipation. The prophet Isaiah, he looked forward in time to the day that it would finally be fulfilled and he said this. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his governance and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. And he wrote that not only to a people who were living in the darkness of Genesis 3, this was God's people. Who have been exiled, taken from their own land, their holy city and temple destroyed, now living in a foreign land on the verge of losing all hope. And he reminds them this is not how the story ends. We fast forward like 700 years later, and we get Mark's gospel. And in the first chapter, Jesus appears on the scene and these are his first words. It says, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word gospel, it's euangelion in Greek. It simply means good news. Y'all, it is good news that we have to share. The good news that the people of this world, broken image bearers, are loved simply because they're loved. And that there is a way for the broken relationships in this world to begin to heal and to come back together until the day that we have hope that those relationships will be restored completely. This is good news. Why are we so hesitant to share it? I'm telling you, if we're sharing anything other than that, we're doing God's job for him. If we're sharing judgment, if we're calling people out for their sin, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of their sin. That's not our job. Our job is to proclaim the good news that you are loved simply because you're loved and that there is a way for these broken relationships to be healed again. So if we're gonna try to define it, what is the gospel? It's the good news for every broken image bearer that the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus Christ, that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has crushed that serpent's head, it's turned the cemetery back into a garden and has made a way for eternal life. And it is good news that the relationships for which we are made are now being restored. A relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and with creation. And if you look at those three points in that definition, you'll notice There is no I, there is no me, there is only Jesus. That's how we know we're on the right track with a definition for the gospel. It has implications for my life. But the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Those three commands that God gave us to keep these relationships together, they're available to us again. He's given us good work to go do. So go do it. He gives us permission to enjoy the good things that God has given us. Go and enjoy it. And as any loving father would, he warns us against the things that will cause us harm. Don't ride across the street. (laughs) Whatever it is, all we have to do is trust him. Trust him and obey. He bears the burden we cannot bear for ourselves. He has made a way for everything to be made new again. The only question remains will we trust and will we obey? Will we continue to live in the cemetery or will we recognize that that cemetery has now become a garden again? Where will we live? The world, according to Genesis 3, has been turned upside down. We aren't waiting for the serpent's head to be crushed. It's been crushed. Death has been defeated. The burden that we can't bear has been taken off our shoulders. There is hope, there is a future, and it is good so, will we live in the cemetery or will we live in the garden? And to which are we inviting people to join us? The good news is that grace is outrunning the avalanche of sin. And thanks be to God for it. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for a story that I know to be true, and not because there's video footage of Adam and Eve walking around the garden I know it's true because it's me because that same pattern those same broken relationships are all evident in my life so God we know that the story is true now I pray that you would help us give us the power of your spirit to guide us that we would know the whole truth that you have made a way that your grace is outrunning our sin that you are restoring those broken relationships even now as we wait for them to be made whole completely when you come again. God, give us the courage and the passion to not hold that good news in for ourselves, but to share it with the world around us that more and more people could wake up each day remembering that they are loved simply because they're loved. And there is a way for all of these broken relationships to be healed. We give you all the glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website, and find us on Instagram at fpc-kingwood. We'll see you next time.